As you can see uh, on the screen behind me, we're starting a brand new series today. So if you are joining with us for the first time, then welcome. And this is a great time to, to kind of jump on board. We've just finished a, a several-week series on habits that I think some people are relieved to see go. Others are a bit sad to see go. Uh, I don't know, depending, <laughs> depending on where you are in your habits journey. But uh, we, we're starting a series this week uh, that we've entitled Heart for the Harvest because I really do believe that it is something that God wants to uh, regularly stir up in our lives, and I'm talking about people that are already in a relationship with God. There's always this tension that exists where, um, as a Christian, uh, our human nature is still kind of at war with, with, with the new nature that, that, that is trying to develop. And so it's very hard not to even make Christianity about ourselves. It's very hard not to uh, live with a very sort of self-centered worldview. And one of the reasons that you remain on planet Earth, even after you enter into a relationship with God, one of those reasons is to actually carry a burden, to care for people that are not yet in a relationship with God. Um, That's not the only reason, but that's certainly one of the big reasons. Um, If you're a Christian yet today, the reality is you're God's plan A to help uh, share His message, and there is no plan B. So uh, I don't think the angels would have agreed to this plan. I definitely wouldn't have agreed to the plan because I think that there'd be better people uh, that would have been better suited to, to kind of uh, reveal and, and reflect uh, the message of Jesus and the hope that God offers. But uh, he very securely left it up to f- his followers, up to Christians. Um, and so what we're wanting to focus on over the next few weeks is, is the heart that I think God wants us to have. So I want to be very careful that we don't place an extra unhealthy burden on you. There is an appropriate burden. It's not an unhealthy one. So again, I think last week we even referenced Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, where it says that the yoke that Jesus puts on us is actually relatively light and the, and the burden is actually, or the burden is light and the yoke is easy. It's not something that has to weigh you down in, 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 a, in the form of extra anxiety, but it is something for us to care about. I believe that God wants us to care about people that are not yet in a relationship with him, and if and if you, again, if you find yourself in a season right now where you're more exploring faith, so you're not convinced about it yet, and maybe one of the things you don't like about Christians is that they seem to want to tell you about it. Um, I'm hoping that that this message will help you understand a little bit more about the the heart behind that. So I don't think that people should be insensitive and belligerent and Bible bashing, um, but I do think that we should care. I think I think it's Christian malpractice not to care about people that are not in a relationship uh, with God. So if you have your phone with you and you're wanting to follow on a version, you can uh, just go to the events page on the app and you can download these notes. I want to take a look and the verse will be up behind me at Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38. It says that Jesus traveled through the towns, through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. If you've, if you've ever heard the term gospel used before, the word gospel simply means good news. Not good news as in there's gossip news, you know, the gossip websites and there's more reliable websites. And of course, Donald Trump thinks that there's a lot of fake news and they're the enemy of the people. I'm not talking about that kind of uh, good news. I mean, this is good news in the sense that it is the truth. It's not a version of the truth. It is the truth. It is life-giving. It is where you find answers. It's where we find hope. It's where we find healing. It is the message of forgiveness that is only made available through what Jesus did at the cross. And we're going to be celebrating that in a few weeks' time, about two months of Easter time. 
It is the message of forgiveness that is offered freely and it is the message of getting to follow him into a life that is truly life. It is good news. He went around sharing, preaching, announcing, or declaring good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Jesus had compassion on the people that he came into contact with. And that doesn't mean that they were all compassion worthy. Because some of us think, well, yeah, sure, I have compassion for some people. But then there are other people that I have no compassion for. And I, I don't mean to be too over the top and too extreme. But sometimes when we lack any compassion for someone, if you really want to kind of break it down, at its worst, it's kind of like saying you can go to hell. To lack any compassion, to lack any concern whatsoever, to, to rejoice in someone else's downfall, to rejoice in someone else's suffering. I'm just saying that that's probably tantamount to wishing someone to hell. And I don't think that there's gonna be a single Christian that goes into eternity with God. I don't think there's gonna be a single Christian that's gonna be relieved or happy, content, that there's anybody that has gone to an eternity separated from God. So I want us to have a, a sense of this, this side of eternity and not have a bit of a wake-up call on the other side of eternity. I think, I think God cares. Jesus saw the crowds and he had compassion. And that actually challenges some people's view of God because some people actually view God as, as they view some Christians or at least Christians that use the name Christian where they seem angry and anti and self-righteous and they're just wanting to point out what you're doing wrong. And so, and so there's this perception about God and by the way, he is righteous, he is holy, but, but, but there's this misperception of where God is just angry the whole time and God, is, and God is so sickened, he's so nauseated by us that he can't stand to even look at us. Yet this tells us that Jesus had compassion. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were the ones to hide away from God. God wasn't the one to hide away from them. In fact, the Bible tells us that it wasn't Adam and Eve that went looking for him, it was God that went looking for them. And maybe you're sitting here today and maybe you feel like, like God's hidden himself from you. I promise you he hasn't. Sometimes it's our own filters that have to come down. Sometimes it's our own blinkers that have to come down for us to actually recognize, wait, God has been available the whole time. God's been looking the whole time. God, God has been offering, inviting the whole time. He is a God of compassion. He saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, even that idea is quite challenging because you look at some people that seem to have it all together and they seem to have everything that someone could ever want and you think they don't look very confused and they don't look very helpless. They, they, in fact, they're actually quite independent, thank you very much. They can actually make uh, you know, life pretty good for themselves and they can self-medicate to a level that they're very content. They're not looking for anything. The people I'm thinking of, they ain't wanting anything to do with God because they're more than self-sufficient. But just because someone has this facade, just because someone has this, this, this air about them that they can do whatever they want, buy whatever they want, go wherever they want, doesn't mean that they're not running around 
like other people that are lost and confused in the dark, trying to find something that offers hope, trying to find something. It's okay. People are running. Parents are running. Think the child's going to be okay. I don't mean to lack compassion. I'm just giving us perspective. Okay, we're coming back in. <laughs> you will have your ghoul ring. Anyway. Um, totally lost my train of thought. What was I saying? Anybody? Okay, no one was listening. All right, that's okay. Not discouraging in the least. Um, so sometimes I look at, at people and, I, and, I, and I, I find it hard to think that they would, would you know, feel lost or helpless. But, but just because someone doesn't recognize it themselves doesn't mean that they're not. I just think that we've, we've become so self-sufficient. So, even if you don't have the money nowadays with, with social media, with, with technology, even, even on a budget, you can escape. You can live in another world. And maybe you're finding yourself there already where actually, if you're honest with yourself, you actually prefer the virtual world to the real world. You prefer virtual relationships. You prefer engaging with friends, in inverted commas, te- technologically than actually having to sit face to face with someone. And I'm just telling you that Jesus came to bring life that is full, that is fleshy, that is, that is imperfect, but, but, but there's this wholeness. He had compassion on them because actually, even though they thought that they were okay and they were self-medicating and they were, and they, and they were able to numb the pain and they were able to settle for counterfeits, just like any normal person you know, is happy with some junk food for a while, but after, after a long enough period, they start feeling sick and they start realizing this isn't actually good nutrition. A lot of people, if you just give them long enough or get to a point where they're saying this isn't good enough, Jesus knew that. He had compassion on them. He didn't, he didn't want to wipe them out. He, didn't, he wasn't nauseated. He had compassion because he saw. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers of you. Saying, harvest isn't the problem, everybody. There are people out there that are far more ripe for the picking than what you realize. The harvest isn't the problem. My people are kind of the problem. My plan A, they're the problem. And that's not, and that's not a guilt trip, that's, that's just some perspective. The problem isn't the harvest. The problem isn't whether or not people have a need. It's just that sometimes, sometimes I irritate myself with how temporary my vision is, where I'm looking at what I feel today, where I look at what I need today, where I look at how much someone is irritating me or frustrating me today where I look at, at, at what people are doing in the traffic and, and I'm trying to do breathing exercises because I'm getting frustrated because I'm thinking about now, I'm not thinking about eternity. You see, when I think about eternity, then that changes everything. That's a whole different ballgame. When I see people through an eternal lens, you'll be amazed at how hard it'll be to offend you when you care more about someone's eternity than just their temporary so, so them being right now and them thinking they're right and them getting away with it now, you'll be less concerned with that. You'll be harder to offend because you're caring about the bigger picture. You don't mind losing a couple of battles yet because you're trying to win a war that will last for someone's eternity. So you're willing to forgive. You're willing to overlook. You're willing to tolerate. You're willing to give someone another go. You're willing to develop a thick skin but protect a soft heart. So he says, pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. 
And you better believe that part of our responsibility as a church is to be equipping and inspiring and reminding and releasing people, workers, to go into the field. And the fields are the schools around us. Wherever you are at school, wherever you are at work, whatever family God has placed you in, you wish God didn't place you in that family. He did place you in that family. And you might be the only person that will ever pray for that family. You wish you weren't in that job. God says that's exactly where I want you because you might be the only person that will actually care, that will have compassion on that person that I know is so ripe for the picking. I know they don't look like it right now, but they are. Just keep praying. Just keep persisting. Just keep being patient. Just keep being kind. Just keep building bridges. Just keep earning credibility. Just keep investing. There's going to come a day where you may be able to invite. So we're not wanting to add a whole bunch more pressure or a whole lot more burden and weight and yoke to you over the next few weeks. Very simply, we actually want to actually debunk some of the stresses and demystify some of the stuff where we can so often feel like it's all about us. It's, it's, and I'm not good enough. I don't know the scriptures. I don't, I don't even know how to explain the good news to someone else. And we can feel so intimidated. And so that's why today I want to just start off by encouraging you to pray. We're going to talk over the next few weeks about prayer, care, because remember, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care, right? People don't want to be corrected. They want you to connect, not correct them. So prayer, care, and how do we invest and invite? That's simple. Prayer, care, invest, invite. You'll be amazed at how you're able to pray, to care, to invest, and to invite. The first thing that I want to encourage you to pray for, not just today, but, but, it, but as you go forward into the season, is to actually pray for compassion. To ask God to help you to see the way that he sees. And I think every one of us needs supernatural help when it comes to seeing the way that he sees. Where we can see past some of the graffiti, some of the junk, some of the, some of the brokenness that is so evident on the surface of a person, but to where we can see through all of that to the original masterpiece that was created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God planned for them long in advance is what Ephesians 2 verse 10 tells us. So where we can see through some of that stuff, you'll be amazed at what God can do to your heart if you will ask him to do something to your heart. You'll be amazed at... I think if some of you will dare to ask God to give you compassion, I think some of you might be surprised this week as God actually gives you capacity for someone that is driving you insane at the moment. Someone that you want to kill, not kill like literally K-I-L-L, kill. I mean just, but you want to, you're so hurtful. Where God might actually just give you a bit of perspective as he extends your view to one of eternity and where he gives you the patience and the perseverance and the compassion. Pray for compassion. If we have a fresh revelation of eternity and where we realize that heaven and hell are not metaphors, I think you'll be stirred towards compassion. The second revelation that I think will develop compassion is if we have a fresh revelation that Jesus didn't just come to save us from hell. He came to save us into a life with hope and healing in this life. I think the scary thing for a lot of Christians is that many of us don't actually believe that life is better with Jesus. And it is. You may not have everything that you want to have. You may not be able to do everything you want to do. But the depth of contentment and fulfillment and security and purpose and significance and hope and healing that is found in Jesus and nobody else 
We need a revelation that it really, you see, you see, if that doesn't mean anything to us, then I think we're still stuck in religion. Then it's just knowledge. It's just academics. Then it's, then it's just what we still have to do. Like, I have to go to church. I have to read my Bible. I guess I have to give a tip every now and then. That blinking bucket thing that they keep talking about. You know, they went on this whole rampage about the car park traffic team thing. Let me serve, you know, because I want to be selfish. Hey, guys, if that's, how we, if that's how we are viewing things, please don't be offended or discouraged. I'm telling you that you haven't yet had a, relation, a, a revelation of a relationship with God where you can actually sit back and know that he loves you before you do anything, that he loves you before you can give anything. The Bible tells us that love is this, not that we first loved him, but that he first loved us. I want us to pray for compassion. I want to give you just a, a little bit of perspective for a moment. If you're hanging there for, for a couple of minutes. Some of you would be familiar with the tragedy that took place at Drihook High School uh, earlier last month in Thunderbell Park where a piece of concrete, uh, sort of like an overpass fell and four kids passed away and several others were injured. Just, just, just to give you a bit of perspective. And, and the reason why I think for some of us that that is so tangible and felt is because, like, we can all relate to that. We all, you know, in, in many cases would have kids or know people that have kids where they're just going to a school. It's just another normal day. And for someone just to lose their life like that tragically, shockingly, is it's disturbing. There's something about that where you have compassion, actually, where you don't think, well, what were their grades? Uh, were they good or bad? Did they deserve it or didn't they? Like, you, you, like that doesn't even cross your mind, Right? You think about the families, you think about the kids that, that are left behind. But to give you some perspective, if those four teenagers whose lives were lost early last month stood chest to back up close to one another, they would probably make it from here to where this table is. Just to give you some perspective in terms of context, in terms of numbers and, and size. Then I want you to think about for a moment the the largest mass shooting that took place in U.S. history about 15 months ago in Las Vegas, where a man went crazy, and, and the FBI think this, that was simply for infamy, where he injured, where over 900 people were injured and 58 people lost their lives. Now, the reason why this was also very felt for us is because our lead pastors from our various churches were at a conference there like three weeks before, two or three weeks before this, this event actually happened. And so, so there's a sense of, like, we were there. These were just normal people. You know, again, you don't start thinking and evaluating and, and weighing up. 58 people lost their lives. I, I, I have no idea how many people have been maimed and, 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 and the other sort of serious effects. But 900 in all were, were injured. 58 people. 58 people that, were, that would stand chest to back in a, in, a, in a row, in a line, in a queue quite tight together. would probably make it from the front of the stage, maybe to those doors or just outside those doors. That's 58 people whose lives are lost who instantly went into eternity. Our lives begin when we're born. It just transitions when our lives end on earth. To give you some more perspective, many of us can think back to where we were, what we were doing on September 11th, 2001, when, when you first heard the report of an airplane that's gone into a building, 
And maybe by the time you heard about it, there were two airplanes that had gone into a building. And maybe by the time you heard about it, the buildings had collapsed already. And then there were, were talks of, of another plane that had, been, that, had, that had crashed, another one that had gone into the side of the Pentagon. And all in all, just under 3,000 people lost their lives that day, women and children. Soon I went to the memorials in Manhattan and this one just outside of the Pentagon. And, and I think one of the things that, that kind of almost caught us by surprise was that if you, if you just went to some of these different chairs and, and, and read the, the date of births, you realize that some of these, some of these people were children. And again, it's disturbing. You, you, you're standing here thinking, this is where an, an airplane went into the side of a building. But just under 3,000 people lost their lives tragically that day. And regardless of your politics and what you agree or disagree with in terms of what happened since then, 3,000 people lost their lives. Many of them were people that were actually trying to serve those and first responders, you know, people trying to help rescue others. 3,000 people. If you were to put 3,000 people chest to back, in a row, in a queue, sort of standing quite close together. They would make it from just outside our building, one kilometer down the road to where the Mullington police station is. That's just to give you some perspective. Still others of you would remember the tragedy on December 26th, 2004, when the Pacific tsunami hit and landed up wiping out, I mean, just, just decimating whole villages and whole areas where eventually... It was confirmed that 250,000 people lost their lives. Tourists, locals, again, men, women, children. It was, it was tragic. I, th- I think it's, the, I think it's the, the, the worst natural disaster, certainly in recent history. To give you some perspective, if you put 250,000 people chest to back and, and they formed a queue that, that, that snaked around, they'd make it almost to Hermanas. So about 80 kilometers, give or take. Some statisticians and, and researchers tell us, I don't know how they do this exactly, how they keep measuring people that are being born and people that are passing away, but at the moment we're sitting with about 7.7 billion people on our planet. Within four years, we'll, we should be hitting the 4 billion, sorry, the 8 billion mark. Again, I'm not sure how they, how they research this, and, and, I, and I don't think that this is necessarily an accurate number, but... I think with generous, liberal estimates, roughly 2.2 billion people on planet Earth would, in their opinion, be a Christian. That doesn't mean that they're all in a relationship with God. I'm just saying, according to whatever definition they use, they would say that they were a Christian. That leaves at the moment in the region of 5.5 billion people that, that of their own acknowledgement are not in a relationship with God. If you were to put 5.5 billion people chest to back in a queue that, that snaked around the earth at its widest point, so at the equator, so, so forget from here to the police station and here to Hermanas. I mean, let's say you went from here up to Joburg, up to Kenya, up to where, wherever the point is, where, where there's the equator, and you, and, you, and you actually see this queue wrapping around our globe. 40,000 kilometers is the circumference at the widest point of the earth. Do you think they'd make it all the way around? Think they'd make it once? Twice? You think five times? Ten times? Fifteen times? 
20 times, 25, 30, 35 times around the world, 40. By rough estimates, the number of people that at least on their own admission that do not subscribe in any way, form, shape, or size to Christianity, if they were standing chest to back, would wrap around the world right now 45 times. So when Jesus looks and he says that the harvest is ripe, I think he really cares. I think, I think it might be disappointing sometimes that Jason Render can be so distracted with the here and now, with some of those little things that are getting under his skin, some of those things that are, that are annoying him, some of those people that are, that are cheesing him off right now, some of the stuff that, that he's distracted with when, when 45 lions around the earth, if it all ended right now, would go to an eternity separated from God. I think he cares. I think we need to pray for compassion so that we will care that the harvest is ripe because every, every number has a name. Every name has a story. And whether you believe this or not, and I don't understand how this works, but every story matters to God. Every story, even the people you don't like, even the people that if you're honest, you may even say you hate. They matter to God. That's why in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, it says that the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think because some people are like shaking for saying, God, just end it now. I'm so tired of this place. I'm so tired of these people. Even, even back then, 2,000 years ago, when Peter's writing this, he says, no, 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 no. God's not actually being slow like you think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He's being patient for the 45 lions around the earth. He's being patient for the at least four and a half billion people that if it all ended now, would go to an eternity that is separated from God. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. That word repent isn't a repent. It's just turn. Repent means to turn. I'm going in this direction. No, no, I'm gonna turn and go in the the direction of life. That's what it means to repent. Repent's not an ugly, angry word. It's turn, turn to life. We need to pray for compassion. Second, we need to pray for confidence. And when I say confidence, I don't mean confidence in how winsome I am, how charismatic I am, how clever I am, how, how, how sweet you are. No, no, confident in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Confident in the good news, the message of hope and healing, that forgiveness is free, that it really is worth following God, that following God, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of how easy or hard it is, it will always lead to life. Romans 1 verse 16, St. Paul, or Paul the Apostle is writing, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ, that is the gospel. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. It is the power. This message, this is what has that life. You don't have to have done a degree in apologetics. You don't have to have read the Bible from cover to cover a hundred times. We can be confident in what only God can do. You see, at best, at best, what we can do is we can help tweak. 
but God transforms. At best, we can try and tweak someone's behavior to where we get them behaving a bit differently or behaving in your mind a bit better. But Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. A dead person cannot do anything to save themselves. That's why we cannot be saved by our works, by our own behavior. And by the way, that's good news. Because it means that, the pre- that, that, that all of the responsibility for salvation is actually on the work that Jesus did. Our role, if, if, if anything, it is primarily to be a witness. It is, to, it is to share a testimony. If you go into a courtroom and you, stand in the, and, and you sit in the witness stand, they're not, they're not putting the responsibility on you to convict someone. Your responsibility is just to give a testimony. Don't lie. Don't embellish. Don't exaggerate. Just tell the truth about what you've experienced. I don't know about that, but this I do know. I love that one story where, where Jesus heals a man and, and I mean, he was lame before and, and now he's healed and, and the religious leaders are mad about it and they, and they kind of call him up in front of them and they're like, who did this? How did he do this? He's like, he says, I, I mean, I can't tell you whether Jesus is a good man or bad man. All I can tell you, all I know is that I was, I think he was blind actually. I was blind and now I can see. Yeah, but hey, hey, guys. I'm not, I, I, I can't expound on that. I can't analyze that. I can't, I can't give you a theological lesson on how it happened. All I can tell you is that I was blind and I could see. Or all I can tell you is my wife said I was a jerk. Now I'm tolerable. You know, I don't know. Like, like all I can tell you is something's changed. You can put your confidence in God. We our role is to be the moon that reflects from the sun. The moon does not have its own source of light. It reflects the sun. I remember hiking down Lion's Head once, late at, late-ish at night, where the sun was completely down, but because it was full moon, there was enough light coming from the moon, which was reflecting off the sun, that I could see the path in front of me. And we could walk down the path. I wonder if that's not the role we're supposed to play, where we just reflect off the, the life, the light, the truth, that there's just a little bit of light in the path ahead of the people around us, that they can just see what the next step is. You don't have to feel pressure. It's not your responsibility to convince or convert. We can pray, we can care, we can invest, we can invite. And number three, pray for courage. Pray for compassion. Pray for confidence, and lastly, pray for courage. Matthew 9, verse 37 and 38, we said that, that Jesus encouraged them to, to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send workers out. Some of us need the courage to say, I'll be a, I'll be a worker. Like, I'll, I'll, try and, I'll try and be an example where I am. I'll try and earn some credibility. Well, God, if you give me the opportunity, I'll do my best to explain what I can. I won't get too distracted by what I can't, but I'll, I'll, I'll do the best I can with what, I, with what I've got, with what I know, with what I can share. We need courage. Courage is when the fear of not acting becomes greater than the fear of acting. That's all it is. Courage isn't the absence of fear. It's when the fear of not acting, if I don't take a chance, what's the worst that could happen, is way bigger than what if I take a chance and I'm embarrassed or I mess it up. I love the story in Acts 4 verse 13. 
It says that the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. So these, Peter and John, they were just fishermen. They, they prayed for a man. Again, he was lame. He'd been healed. And they were, again, the religious people were freaked out. They dragged them in front of the, 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 the religious leaders who just killed Jesus 40 days before that. And then it says, for they could see that they were ordinary men. Doesn't that give you some hope, by the way? Just, just ordinary men. Ordinary people with no special training in the scriptures. You don't have to go to Bible college or cemetery, I mean sem- seminary to, 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 be, to be equipped to do this. They were ordinary men. And here's how, because they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. You want to know what qualifies you to shine a little bit of light? It's being with Jesus. Being with Jesus. You'll be amazed at how that reflects on people. You don't have to fake anything. People can smell fake a mile away, especially nowadays. Just be real. And if you have challenges and you're struggling with stuff, be real. People are put off with the perception of perfection because they know it's not true. So just be real with your imperfections if you have to. I want to encourage you to pray for compassion, for confidence, and for courage. I want to show you a a short video that just hopefully will just give you a little bit of encouragement that the gospel of Jesus Christ really can change a life. I got in with the wrong crowd and I started to um, pinch cars, burglars, uh, become known, me and my friends become known as very high profile thieves really. I used to carry big knives, uh, the, the big knives to the smaller knives down my waist and I was the kind of person where if you pulled a knife out, I would use it. I ended up stabbing someone in the head. I ended up um, stabbing someone just missing his heart and going through the top of his shoulder, uh, the, the top of his chest and his shoulder away. He dropped to the floor, and so I was on the run for two attempted murders. And then I was just, when I went to prison, I had such a hatred for the system, and I couldn't handle being told what to do, couldn't handle prison officers mucking me about. When I went out on association, I got to prison officer and I, uh, I stabbed him. And then this led to me going into maximum security prisons, being put on CSC. It's where they feed you through a hatch in the door. There's no physical contact, so they have to have riot shields and riot gear on. Um, and that was my life for a long, long time, basically. And I, I just was going from prison to prison, prison to prison. But then I ended up going to Long Larton in Worcestershire. And when I was in there, I ended up going in an alpha course. Never heard of an alpha course. Didn't know anything. And I just remember walking in because they'd sent me down. I sat down on a chair. And I thought, oh, no, it's a Christian thing. And we'd just go there every week and I would argue. And the pastor, um, I remember he come to me. He said, right, I'm going to say a few scriptures first before we pray. And one of them was, no one's righteous, not one. We all fall short of the glory of God. And then he said the verses about Jesus and explained a bit why he died on the cross for sinners and stuff. And then he said, pray. So I started praying. And I said, uh, God, I said, God, if you're real, come into my life because I hate who I am. And nothing happened. But then... As I was talking to the pastor, I started to feel this energy feeling in my stomach. And it started to raise up and raise up and raise up and raise up. And I just 
broke out into uncontrollable um, tears. And I just sobbed. <clears throat> and I just... Right there. Because that was a change in my whole life. I knew God was real. Um, and no one will change that now. And then I remember running on the wing people clearly knew that I would become a Christian so I actually helped them on another two alpha courses and then I, I, um, I got released I've been in a prison where I because you would have thought that the prison where I stopped the prison officers would have been the last prison to have me but they were the first that's how good works the best thing for me is going in prisons and helping the lads in prison and, and trying to tell them about God I've got five kids and then my life um, and what upsets me is because now I know um, that back then, if I had the kids, uh, they wouldn't have had a good upbringing. And now they sit on the night and have Bible studies with their dad. Um, <clears throat> have Bible studies with their dad. Have a life, a beautiful, um, and my life. And this probably is my wife and my kids are the best gift that apart from the grace God's given me is the best gift I've ever he'll ever give me um, didn't expect to cry like that recovered now <laughs> come on can God change a life can God change a life thank God that there were people that were willing to be workers in the prison system Imagine what God can do with others of us that are willing to be workers in our classrooms, in our places of work, in the relationships that you have with other parents because you're connected through your kids somehow, through a sports team. Who knows what God can achieve? I'm not sure exactly how it works, but I can only give you my own opinion. If I was our enemy... I would do everything I could to keep our eyes on as much of the temporary as possible, to do everything I could to keep us as distracted as possible from ever thinking about eternity. I'd want to, I'd want to do everything I can to feed you being offended and irritated and put off people. I'd want to do everything I could. At, 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 I would use everything at my disposal to keep you from forgiving, from looking beyond some of those things that can so easily create space between us and others. Let us pray for compassion. Let us pray for a confidence in the life-changing power of the gospel. And you've just seen an example of that. And let us pray for courage to just simply say yes. God, what's the question? My answer is yes. What's the instruction? My answer is yes. You should have a little prayer card on your chairs, I think. Is that right? Everyone got a prayer card? I want to encourage you. Just You can just put that away for now, to take it home with you and to write down, just to prayerfully consider a few names that, that maybe God wants you just to pray for over the next season. And, and you might be surprised at some of the names that come to mind. It might be some of the last people that you would ever imagine. Can you imagine that guy? Hey, if you knew that guy, can you imagine that he would ever be touched by the supernatural love of God? So, so don't, don't, don't be quick to ignore a prompting if you feel like you have a sense to pray for someone who you think in the natural is highly unlikely to be responsive. What we're going to do now in a moment is 
take part in what we call communion. It's where we eat a little bit of a, a biscuit, a mat sauce, and it's and where we drink a bit of juice. And Jesus said that when we do this, we are remembering what he did for us. So we, we are remembering through the juice that he shed his blood. We are remembering through the biscuit that his body was, was actually cut open and broken for us so that, in other words, he paid the price. Every time we take part in communion, we are remembering the price that he paid for us. And today what I want you to do, just a little bit differently to normal, is I want you to, to ask God to allow the reality of that to move you with compassion and to give us a heart for the harvest. God, if you could forgive me, God, help me never to withhold that from someone else. God, if you could save me, rescue me, breathe life into this dead soul, God, help me never to keep that and, and keep from, being a, uh, from playing a part in whatever you want to do in someone else's life. Just a few scriptures before, before I hand over. And he, he read this on the video, Romans 3 verse 10. There is no one righteous, not even one. Nobody. None of us deserve it. Romans 3.23 tells us why. For everyone has sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. And that presents a problem. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Spiritual death. Eternally spiritual death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And lastly, one of my favorite verses. Romans 5 verse 8, that God showed his great love for us by sending Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. I think we have something to be grateful for. 